Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 311. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lended FinTech. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Adina Hafetz. She is the CEO and founder of Divi Homes, not to be confused with Divi, the expense management company bought by Bill.com. They have nothing at all to do with each other. So Divi Homes is really interesting to me because they've created a new model, a new way to buy a home or to acquire your own home. And it is quite creative. And I think it's great. The mortgage industry is, you know, what, a century or more old, and there's still new ways of approaching home ownership. And we get into that in some depth here. We talk about the details of their model. We talk about the types of people that are coming, how they approach underwriting, how the economics works, um, how they have been impacted by the the crazy run-up in real estate prices. We talk about capital markets and obstacles for growth and much more. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Adina. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Okay, my pleasure. So I like to get these things started by giving the listeners some background about yourself. You've, you've worked for some, uh, some big names in traditional finance and big names in fintech uh, and VC. So why don't you um, give us some of the highlights of what you've done in your career to date? Sure. So I started out in investment banking. I worked for um, I worked for Merrill Lynch and then got acquired. And then I worked for Bank of America Merrill Lynch. And that was um, in 2009. So the exact wrong time to be in the, the banking industry. <laughs> um, and then went over for TPG and did large cap acquisitions. Uh, TPG is a private equity firm based here on the West Coast. Um, and then ended up after that going to Square pretty early on. I started out working for the CFO there, Sarah Fryer, and was kind of her analyst for a little while and then started a Hack Week project um, where we gave out loans to merchants, which is called Square Capital. Um, and so built that from the ground up with a team of five people and had this amazing time. Then went to business school um, and then worked in venture capital at DFJ and then founded, founded Divi about four years ago. Okay, so let's just talk about that. What was the aha moment or what was the, tell us the founding story of Divi. I kept looking at this chart of the rate of home ownership and I just saw it falling off of a cliff. And when you overlay that with the mortgage availability index, what you just saw is that mortgages weren't readily available, which kind of makes sense, right? 1980s, interest rates were super high. People wanted, or the government wanted to encourage people to access home ownership. And so they they basically loosened underwriting requirements. So if it felt like your parents' generation, it was easy for them to get a mortgage. That's because it, it was much easier actually then. But mortgages were given out a little too willy-nilly. And as a result, it led to the global financial crisis. And then the underwriting was was really tightened after that point. And so what you just saw is that um, access to home ownership sort of fell off a cliff. And I I started thinking about how can you change this? And so so if you you basically like aren't going to extend credit to someone who the government doesn't think that's appropriate. So that might be the case. Um, but you can create a synthetic mortgage product. You can create something that thinks, feels, acts like a mortgage, but isn't actually sending credit. And so I came up with this idea of finding people who would want to otherwise be homeowners who couldn't access a mortgage. And instead of extending them credit, actually just creating a rental product that acted like a synthetic mortgage in some ways. <clears throat> and so instead of saying you're going to pay interest plus principal, you now just said, okay, instead you're going to pay rent plus build equity in, in the property, right? And it acted a lot like mortgage would act 
but actually wasn't in any way standing credit. It meant that I wouldn't take foreclosure risk, right? Ultimately, if they weren't able to make their payments, Divi wouldn't have to go through a foreclosure. And instead we would just obviously have to process an eviction or something like that, but it wouldn't take as much risk. And I thought as a result, you can offer this to a wider group of people. So that was really the idea behind it. Um, And at first I just thought it was like a cool little catchy idea. And I was like, okay, well, let me see if I can make this work. And then we ended up actually launching it. Um, and it's been it's been quite successful. So kind of started out more like a, oh, there's a puzzle and I can help solve this. And then actually ended up growing quite a bit into what's a pretty big business today. Right. Okay. So we'll delve into the details in a little bit. But before I do, I want to I want to take a step back and just sort of I'd love to get your perspective on on the housing market in general today. It's obviously these are not normal times. We've had, you know, we've had a, a pretty significant run up in prices. It's been in the press, all over the press, the last few months that there just aren't enough houses to go around. So, just give us your take on the housing market today. So it's so interesting because every round of funding that I previously raised from venture capitalists, the number one question I always get is, "What happens if there is a downturn in the housing market?" Mm-hmm. And not one person asked me. What if the exact opposite happened, right? What if, <laughs> what if the market becomes so overheated that there's no inventory to buy or prices skyrocket? And it reminds me always that it's the unknown unknowns right? that are the biggest things that end up getting you over time and not the known unknowns. Um, so that's kind of a, a, a separate topic. But so the housing market today is quite a bit different than what I thought it would be. And I think that we learned a lot during the global financial crisis that caused the government to act in a very different way during this period of COVID than they had previously. And what I mean by that is during COVID, there were a couple of different factors that that came into play. One, more people wanted access to single family homes, right? No one wanted to be like in a studio apartment. So people were, were flowing more towards single family homes with more space, bigger backyard, an office, all of that stuff. On the other side of it, on the supply side, what we saw is that supply really got constrained in a way that was quite a bit different um, than we had seen in in previous situations. And so what had happened was essentially folks didn't want to move, right? No one wanted to, to sell their house during a global pandemic. So there were less homes that were actually put up for sale. And then the second part of that actually was that that the government acted in a very different way than it had historically. And what I mean by that is the government didn't allow evictions. They're not allowing foreclosures and they're helping provide a lot more rental assistance. So in the last financial crisis, the market got flooded with a ton of inventory because there were mass foreclosures that happened. This time the government said, we're going to put $47 billion of money against helping provide assistance in these, these these large packages to help support the economy. And as a result, we haven't seen a supply flood on the market in the form of evictions or foreclosures. And in fact, more people are actually staying in their homes because there's enough rental support or aid or payment plans that are helping boost the market. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. Anyway, well, I, I want to dig in now to, to the Divi offering. I'd love you to explain how it works. Maybe you can give us an example and just get into some of the, um, the details. The industry categorization is, is rent to own. That's the industry. And I would say that it has a pretty predatory history um, and and a history that I think is, you know, I think we need to acknowledge, but also not necessarily something that we want to stick with, something that we definitely want to change and be quite a bit different. Um, So the way that Divi works, which is different than the historical industry, is we let our customers pick out a home 
We'll buy it on their behalf. So let's say you wanted to go out shopping, you apply into Divi's website. We say, great, you're approved to buy a $350,000 house in Dallas, Texas. You go out shopping, you find the house that you want. There is no preset inventory. It is any house. And we have some constraints on don't be more than two acres because we're not buying farms here. We are buying single family homes. But go shopping for a home that's $350,000. Find one that you really like. You pick it out. And before you end up moving in, we'll put out an all cash offer for you. The offer um, is generally very clean. And what I mean by that is it's a two-week closing. Generally, um, there are no appraisal contingencies. It's an all cash quick close offer. We'll take care of the inspection for you. We'll help support you through the entire process up until closing. You'll contribute either one or 2% down payment. And that's your initial equity skin in the game. So that is your ownership. So you start off owning, let's say 2%, Divi owns 98%. Then when you move in, you pay one monthly amount. It's part rent and part equity. The equity builds up your ownership in house. So let's say after you pay your first month, you'll own 2.25%. The next month you'll own 2.5%. And we'll let you build up anywhere to 5 to 10% over the course of three years. At any point in time, you can purchase the house fully from Divi and roll your equity onto a mortgage. So it is the same thing as a mortgage where you put a down payment and then you pay principal and interest and you can always refinance that mortgage, right? So it's the same thing, just paralleled, but instead of paying interest, you're paying rent. And the rent is paid to Divi, right? And I presume... Does the IRS consider this a rent payment and not uh, a mortgage payment, I presume? Exactly. So it is a rent payment. And so the trade that we make with the the tenant is our belief is that this tenant is going to take better care of the home because they ultimately want to be the homeowner because they have equity skin in the game, right? Which means that we're going to have less turnover, less maintenance cost than a traditional rental portfolio. And as a result, we're letting them buy into the upside. We're giving them the benefit of appreciation that normally landlords don't give their renters. And so that's the trade. So we let you pick out a house. We let you build in the house. You get the appreciation. Your 2% is still 2%, even if the home appreciates, right? That benefit accrues to you. And our trade is that you are going to turn over less frequently than a traditional rental customer. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So then at least first-time home buyers, I mean, I imagine it skews to a pretty young population, but give us a sense of who is coming to Divi for this kind of offer. So it actually varies quite a bit. I think that age-wise, we have some folks who are using Divi who are 25, getting married, purchasing a first home. We also have folks who maybe you know had a credit hiccup during the last global financial crisis and are trying to move back into home ownership and are later on in life. I'd say the, the better way to look at this is more by work characteristics. Our biggest segment of customers is actually healthcare workers. Um, so oh. nurses, x-ray techs. And if you think about it, it's people with large amounts of student debt. That's the biggest area. The second one are educators. So think teachers, and that's usually a down payment issue. And the third area, we call it logistic workers, which is broadly, I say 1099 workers. So truck drivers, Uber, Instacart delivery folks, and that has to do with inconsistent income. All of this makes it nearly impossible to actually get a mortgage. Um, And I tell this story, but I can't get approved today for a traditional mortgage, which is crazy, right? And the reason why I can't is because I'm a founder and traditionally founders don't pay themselves that much. And so as a result, no matter how much I've saved up or have in my bank account, I don't have the income that is required to get a mortgage, which is insane, right? And so I think that what people don't get is that mortgages were created in the 1940s, right? It was a post-World War 
project that was, let's try to create access to home ownership. And I mean this in mass scale. There were obviously bank mortgages, but this is like, you know, Fannie Mae being created. And, and there was a underwriting box that was created during that time, which largely hasn't changed. And the reason why it hasn't changed is because the mortgage-backed securities market, right, is a mass market that any little changes actually just have severe impacts. And the last time we tried to make some adjustments, it led to a global financial crisis. And so I think the, the government-sponsored entities, GSEs, are, are basically staying away from making changes to the mortgage underwriting box. Um, and while that's unfortunate for access to homeownership, it also does create these opportunities for startups to actually innovate on the way that we access homeownership. Right, right. So let's talk about underwriting for a second because I'd love to get uh, your take on how, like, if someone comes to Divi, how do you underwrite them? Uh, is this something that you, you know, what, what's your approval percentage? Is this a real kind of um, option for even those for, with lower incomes? Yeah. So what we try to focus on is what is the amount that they can comfortably pay every month and not feel overstretched and still be able to afford a home. And so the underwriting process really gets at the question of how much can you afford on a monthly basis? Show us your financial profile and we'll come to a conclusion for you. And so I try to make this as simple as possible. Like I'm always talking to our product team and I'm like, less requirements, less requirements, make this simpler, (laughs) cleaner, easier, faster. But there's still a level of diligence that we want to do to feel like we can make an appropriate recommendation for you. So the first thing that we look at is your credit profile. So we'll take a look and say, okay, what is your, your credit obligations? What is your monthly debt payments? And then we'll ask for a recent pay stub so we can see what your income is like. We'll also let you connect through Plaid or do some things like that that make it obviously quite a bit easier. And from that, we deduce basically how much can you pay on a monthly basis? And then what does that translate into in terms of home price? Okay. From that, we kind of come to a budget. You know, we're constantly iterating. I think our goal is we want to provide this to as many people as possible, but we want to provide it in a way that's safe and healthy for them, right? And not overextending our customers in any way. So you'll underwrite them and you'll say, okay, you can afford a house up to $200,000 or up to $300,000. You'll give them you'll give them a limit, right? And then they can go out and shop like a cash buyer and and shop around. Exactly. And in fact, their offer is better than had they gotten conventional financing, right? Because conventional financing will come with contingencies that they no longer have. And so we actually let our customers compete with other institutions, which is really interesting because we are taking people who traditionally maybe would have gotten an FHA mortgage, wouldn't have had a super competitive bid, and we were turning them into the most competitive bid possible. And they can then go up against the open doors, the invitation homes, the American homes for rents of the world, and we can bid just as aggressively for them. I can see if these people who can't afford a home suddenly can go out and do an all-cash offer, that's got to feel good from their perspective. So then how does the economics work? I mean, what are you doing as far as like as far as fees go and how, how are you making money? And, and are you sharing the run-up if the price of the home goes up? Uh, I know you said that 2.5% is 2.5%. So it sounds like you're getting some of the upside potentially in the, in, and, and obviously potential downside in the value of the home. Is that correct? We make money off of rent. I love to be like super transparent about that, which is the year-end portion is what our revenue is. And our bet is that our gross profit margins will be higher because we will have lower turnover and lower maintenance cost. And so that is how we make money. There are no fees, like there's no application fees. There's no fees along the way. It is purely just rent. And we make a higher gross profit margin because we have less turnover, which results in less costs. 
Now, on the appreciation side, we lock in a buyback price up front. So just to use easy numbers, let's say we're buying a $100,000 house. On average, our buyback price, so the price at which the tenant can, can exercise their right to buy back the home, averages about 3% appreciation a year, so call it 10%. So your buyback price would be locked in at $110,000, right? That means that the max guarantee that Divi can make off of the appreciation and the tenant buying back the house is that $110,000 appreciation, right? So $10,000 increase. Now, what we have seen, and you'll know this, is that home prices have increased almost 20% year over year, right? right? And so what that means is that they have a call option. They can buy this house at a cheaper price than likely what it's trading at today. And so that means that the customer, if they want the house, they can exercise the right to buy pay a cheaper price than what they would be able to buy it at in the future. So that's an an added benefit that our customers don't often think about, which is they're locking in the price of the home today while they build equity and they don't have to wait as the home continues to appreciate and gets out of their reach. Now, I want to be transparent. None of our customers are thinking about, oh, I have a call option that's in the money. That's just like not how consumers think about these sorts of things. What they think is that I have a home. I love the home. And I want to make it mine. And so long as the payments feel affordable when I ultimately roll onto a mortgage, this feels good. Or they'll say, even if they have a buyout right at $110,000, the house now is appreciated a ton. It's worth $150,000. They may say, I don't like my neighbor. They have 10 pit bulls. I don't want to buy this house. And they have a right to walk away, right? And we'll cash them out for their equity. Now, that's illogical. You might be like, well, why don't they just buy it and sell it the next day and make a $40,000 gain? Well, because that's a headache, because consumers don't always think like that, because, right, that takes time. But that is their option, and they 100% can do that. Right. Okay. That's, that's, that's really interesting. So then, is the rent they're paying to you, um, you said there's a rent and a principal component, like, are they paying market rate rent, and then they're paying extra for equity, or how does that work? So let's say typical market rate rent is $1,000 a month. If you're paying about $1,000 a month, given where mortgage rates are, you might be paying $600 in mortgage payments. But what tenants don't always realize is that you also have to pay taxes, insurance. I mean, there are other costs to a house. So net-net, the house maybe costs you $800 a month if you were to actually own it. Rent is, let's say, $1,000 a month. Divi actually only charges rent on the portion that the customer owns. We don't advertise this because it gets really confusing. But let's say you put 2% down, then the rent we actually charge is... 98%, 98%, right? Because you own 2%, Divi owns 98% times market rate rent, which will be 980 a month, right? But then on top of that, you're building equity. And so the equity component might be like $200 a month, right? So you'll pay something like 1180, but $200 is actually equity that you're building. And the rent right. piece might actually be slightly below, but kind of roughly at what market rate rent is. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. That, that makes sense. You know, all these details though, like are things that we never tell our customer. The way I've built Divi is do right by the customer. Like I sat there and I said, I wouldn't want to pay rent on the portion that I own as I'm building equity in the property, right? Because wow. I own that. Why would I pay you rent for it? And so I made sure that the model was really fair in that way, but it gets confusing to explain all this in super great detail. So we don't always advertise these features, but we'd like to establish a brand and a reputation that really says we are going to do right by you and you trust us that we are making these decisions in a way that hopefully, if you did understand all, all the nitty gritty details, would feel really good for you. 
Right, right. Got it, got it. Okay, so I'd love to get your perspective on the, I mean, we touched on this, but the last 18 months have been a little crazy in the real estate market. As you said, you talked about shortage of, of homes on the market, but what has that done? I'm curious really more from the demand side of your business. Are more people now looking at your model more you know, seriously than they were 18 months ago? Yes. So demand has been tremendous over the last couple of months. You know, since COVID started, demand has really skyrocketed. So I would say when COVID started, rates started dropping. And a really interesting fact that most people don't actually think about is that when rates dropped, everyone assumed that everyone thereby could get a mortgage, right? Rates dropped, everyone should go get a mortgage. Well, the truth of the matter is that when rates dropped, it actually helps more than anything refinancing activity which is surprising and most people don't think about it, it actually means that if you own a home, you go out and you refinance that property, right? Which means that your payments all of a sudden become cheaper. You're actually less likely to move as a result of that. And when mortgage originators or brokers have the ability to take on refinance volume, they actually don't take on new mortgage originations as much. Now, why is that? Because refinance volumes, they make great fees on and it's a lot less work. They don't have to go through the appraisal. They don't have to deal with underwriting you. They don't have to take risk. You've been living in that house. You've been paying consistently. It's great business for them, right? And so what actually happened during COVID was everyone went out, rates dropped. Everyone went out and they refinanced their property. And then actually being a first-time home buyer or a new home purchaser, it was actually more challenging to get a mortgage. And so what we've seen is that as a result, more people turned to alternative options to be able to purchase a home, which included Divi Homes. So Divi has become just tremendously more popular, especially during COVID, and also because more people want to actually purchase a home, right? More people want the space, more people need a backyard, more people need an office, right? And so that's also another push that has driven up demand. Right, right. And so how are you getting the word out? You know, I I feel like you basically have to educate the market in some ways, because this is not a product where there's a hundred different alternatives doing the same thing. You've really created in many ways a a brand new product of a way to buy a house. I mean, are you working with the realtor community mainly? Are you going direct to consumer? And what sort of role does education play in this? So education is super important. And I'd actually probably say that that's been the biggest challenge for Divi to date. Right. Right. And so if you were to go get out and get a mortgage and you're like, I want to buy a house, I want to get a mortgage on it. You Google mortgage calculator and you try to figure out what your payments are. It is super confusing even with mortgages, which have been around for a hundred years to figure out what your payments are. Is, you're like, is it a seven, one arm, a five, one arm, a 10 year fix, 15, 30 year fix, like right. Payments vary so much. And so now on top of it, you're like, okay, I want to move forward with Divi to actually figure out what your payments are going to be at different home prices, right? Requires a Divi calculator, which we had to create. Right. And then people are like, well, you know, I know traditional mortgages. What happens when a pipe bursts? Who covers that cost? Now, the answer is Divi covers that cost, and we will take care of performing the maintenance and repair for you. But all these little things, the market just doesn't know. And so we're actually having to invest a lot in making sure that we educate customers on this being an option. To the point you said earlier, the biggest way that we are doing this is through the realtor community. Our view is that it is really hard to communicate this building a company in San Francisco. And so as a result, we really rely heavily on realtors who are on the ground to partner with us and help educate those consumers. So we spend a lot of time doing full-on webinars to entire brokerages. Um, We actually have an agent success team. So they'll each get an account executive that will help, help educate the agent. And our view is if you educate the agent once, 
they can then serve a bunch of customers rather than having to educate every single customer one by one. And so we really focus on building out an aging community to help drive education. And so from the agent's perspective, a buyer comes along to them and they well, they look and say, well, you can't really afford a, uh, you know, the house you want because you don't have enough down payment, for example. How does that help them to go to Divi? Is that, I mean, are you, re- are you reimbursing the agent on uh, a buyer's commission, even though you're the one buying? So what happens is, is someone comes to them and they're like, I found a house. I really love it. The agent goes, great. Are you pre-approved for mortgage? The customer says, not yet. I don't know. I have like $5,000, $10,000 saved up. The agent goes, that's great, but that's not going to be enough, right? That's not going to be enough for this house. And even if we go through a mortgage approval process, that could take months, right? And you're going to lose out on this house. And they say, well, I have two options. I can either let this customer, um, well, maybe three options. I can let this customer apply for a mortgage and we'll see what happens in six months from now, but I might lose the customer. Two, I can have them become a rental customer where I only get one month's rent as the commission. Or three, I can send them to Divi. If I send them to Divi, Divi will underwrite them in less than 24 hours. Divi will be an all-cash quick-close offer, and the agent keeps the full commission. They keep the full buying agent commission. And so in their head, they're like, wow, I just took a customer who at best maybe would have been a, a home buyer in six months from now, or maybe would have been a renter today. And now I've just turned them into the best possible customer, an all-cash bidder instantly in 24. I, I mean, we'll get back to them in, in less than that. It's generally like a you know, 30 minute underwriting process, but we say, give us up to 24 hours just in case it's a more complex income uh, right. stream that we have to underwrite. And so for the the agents, I mean, this is amazing. You just went from, you know, maybe being able to do call it three to four closings a month because they take a ton of work to now actually being able to do close to eight to 10 a month, right? Because Divi actually takes care of the inspection for you. We'll take care of closing, right? It's just an easier transaction for the realtor. Interesting. Interesting. So I could see how they could jump on that. So then what geographies are you operating in and you, are you focusing on certain areas? So we have operations in 16 markets. Um, let's see if I can, I don't know if I can name them all, but it, it'll, okay. Atlanta, Cleveland, Dallas, Houston, a lot of Florida markets, Tampa, Orlando, um, but, but it's kind of tier two markets. What we generally look for in terms of the geographies that we operate in is um, what's the average home price in the area it's really would be very tough for us to operate in some place like San Francisco because the average home price is really high, which means the number of ultimate customers we can serve would just be a lot lower. Um, right. And the economics are just tougher um, in places like San Francisco. Um, and so we're really targeting these sort of tier two cities um, where we feel like access to home ownership has been harder to come by and uh, where the average home price kind of falls in the, call it 100000 to $400,000 range. Gotcha. Okay. And most listeners who maybe are listening to this are like, can you get a house for $400,000? I promise you that the houses we're buying in Atlanta for $300,000, $350,000 are way nicer than the house I live in in, in the Bay Area. They're like right. these mansions that are five bedroom and five bathroom. And I'm like, I didn't even know these existed. So yeah, they're, they're awesome homes. Yes. Yes. I, 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 you know, I know that there are plenty of markets where $100,000 even gets you, a, gets you a reasonably nice home. So I always joke I'm going to retire to Cleveland, Ohio, which everyone thinks is like a silly thing to joke, but <laughs> you can get the most beautiful house for $150,000. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then my wife is from Cleveland and she has lots of family there still. And it's, uh, it's an underrated city in many ways. Anyway, I'd love to get a sense of the scale you guys are at. I mean, how many transactions are you doing a month? Can you give us some sense there? 
So we don't publicly release the number of homes we own, although all of it is public data because we have to record deeds and things like that. Today, we're serving, I would say, tens of thousands of customers a month are applying. And ultimately, right now, we have thousands of homes. And so generally, what we're we're bidding on is close, I'd say, over a thousand homes a month we're, we're bidding on. And then ultimately, some of those get accepted and some of those don't get accepted on the offer front. Right, right, gotcha. And by the way, the largest single-family rental is uh, companies Invitation Homes. They're a twenty billion dollar enterprise company, and I think that they bought the last couple of years maybe two thousand homes net total. Um, so if you do that on a divided by twelve months right basis, right, we are buying at the scale of, if not greater than, some of the largest players in this space. Interesting, interesting. So then. You have a pretty capital-intensive business, right? Yes. I mean, you've really, got, <laughs> you've really got to get access to the capital markets you know, at a pretty grand scale. So tell us about your fundraising journey, from, particularly from the debt perspective and maybe also from the equity perspective. So it's interesting. When I founded Divi, I was like, yes, this is going to be super capital-intensive. But when you just start, you're like, oh, I just want to get the first 100 homes done. And so at first, you're like, okay, well, that's not that big of a deal. And in your head, you do the math. You're like, well, if this ever gets really big, I mean, I'm going to need billions of dollars of debt to make this happen. But you're like, all right, that's a problem for another day. Like, let's try to just first, like, you know, make it to the first hundred homes. And we made it to the first hundred homes. And it's like, make it to the first thousand homes. And now you're like at the point where like, oh, man, we're really going to need a lot of money to keep making this happen. So I'm really fortunate that I've hired the most amazing team. Um, We have a CFO. His name is Tom. And he runs all of um, Capital Markets. Um, and we have awesome partners on the capital market side. Um, so we started out, our first debt facility was with Cross River Bank. The next one was with uh, Goldman Sachs and More Capital. Um, the next one was with Libermax came in and Magnetar. And so we we basically go out and we raise these large debt facilities that help us finance the purchase of the homes. Um, we really look for debt partners who are going to make good long-term investors. And for us, that's really understanding the mission and the value proposition and how serving our customers first ultimately results in better outcomes, you know, stronger tenants who end up actually caring about the house. And, and that ultimately results in better returns for them overall. So we like to find uh, debt providers who are aligned with our mission and values um, first and foremost. Right, right. And what about the equity perspective? How, how have you raised capital to run the business? We've had to raise a decent amount. So we, right now, um, we lever our houses almost 95%. So we end up only having to put in a call 5% of the home value out of our equity dollars. Um, and so we've gone out and we've had to raise capital throughout this whole process. We raised a seed, series A, series B, series C. We've have raised hundreds of millions of dollars in terms of equity capital. I think in the same way we we look for um, venture capitalists who also see the mission and values of the company, but also the tremendous potential. I think that our investors across the board all believe that this is going to be the way that the majority of America finances uh, their home purchase or moves into home ownership over time. Um, mortgages are becoming unattainable. And we need other options. Um, and so we've raised a decent amount of capital on both the equity and, and debt side. And we're really fortunate to have amazing investors who, who understand the mission and the growth potential. Okay. So then we're running out of time, but a couple more questions I want to get to. What what do you say is, is the biggest obstacle for growth right now? You say that you know this is the way the majority of Americans will buy their first home, right? But you're a long way away from that. So what's the biggest obstacle for growth? You know, I didn't think four years ago we'd be where we are today. 
when we were sitting there and I was like, we just need to get the first 10 homes closed, the first hundred homes closed. And now we're thinking at such grand scale, you know, we did a, a little chart of how long it took us to get to our first thousand homes and the next thousand, the next thousand. And you just saw the timeline. It took us like, you know, over a year to get to that first one. And then after that, right, it goes down in terms of months. And, and so I'd say we're growing at a faster clip than, than ever before. The biggest thing right now that's holding us back, I'd say is lack of inventory. Uh, we have a lot of customers and it's hard to buy a home right now. That being said, we're working on overcoming that by structuring partnerships with with folks who could provide inventory for our customers more readily. And so, look, I think that we're in an interesting time where where this is very unique to the market today, but I don't think that necessarily this will last forever. I think it's going to last for a little while, but not forever. And so I'd say, just like when we started out, our biggest hurdle was access to debt capital, right? Because starting out your startup, right? And that became that became the thing that I had to overcome. I overcame it, right? And just like we're going to make it through this inventory shortage, right? And we're going to come out the other side and become stronger for it. I actually think it's really interesting because as these little challenges present themselves, road bumps, right? You learn how to overcome them and it makes you as an org stronger than you were before and also more agile. All of a sudden there's a problem. You're like, huh, I hadn't thought this would ever be a problem. How do I overcome it? Right. And I think that that's part of growing up as a company. Yep. Yep. Understood. Okay. So then last question, I mean, you have one product, right? Um, and the, the, the market is huge. Are you, are you sticking to this one product and trying to roll it out? I mean, there's huge numbers of, of markets, uh, tier two uh, type cities in this country. What, so what is the, the vision ultimately? Yeah, so there's there's probably two parts to it. There's our core product today, which is the rent-owned product. And the vision there is to expand on it, both in terms of product offering and then geographic footprint. On the product offering side, we started out offering a pretty rigid product, which is put 2% down, built to 10% equity over the course of three years. And we started to, to change that over time. So if you have a slightly higher FICO, we'll let you build to only 5% because we think you can get a lower down payment mortgage, right? And so we started to change the builds. What I ultimately want to get to is that you can come to us, Peter, and you can say, actually, I want to start off putting 5% down and I only want to build to 7.5% because I know that I can get a mortgage with that down payment. And I want to do it instead of over a three-year fixed period, I want to do it over a five-year period. Right. And so we want to make it so the product is completely customizable to the individual. And that's what we're ultimately getting at. That takes a lot of education, a lot of building, um, and that's going to take time. In addition to that, on the footprint side, we want to eventually be offered nationwide. I want to have a product someday that can be offered to everyone. That's going to take a little while to get to, but we're slowly building towards that. And so that's on the core business. I think on the other side, we call it ancillary services, which are really interesting is starting to verticalize more. And what I mean by that is today we use third-party realtors. We use third-party title escrow and closing agents. We use third parties when the customer is ready to buy back the property to refer them to a mortgage provider if they need an intro to a mortgage provider. In the future, we want to bring this in-house. We want to be able to offer everything to our customers. And that is the goal. That is what we're trying to achieve. I think that at the heart of what we're doing, Peter, it is providing access to homeownership. I want to provide the on-ramp and provide all the supportive services that lets you go from being a renter to ultimately being an owner. Right. Well, it is it is the American dream, right? And uh, it's great that you have created this product that I think is serving thousands of people right now who are probably very, very happy that they're in the house that they want and they've had, they've had another alternative. So anyway, Dina, thank you very much for coming on the show. Best of luck to you. And I look forward to uh, following your progress. 
Thank you, Peter. Okay. See ya. You can probably tell I'm a big fan of what Adina and her team are doing at Divi Homes. I think it's something that is needed. If you look at historically wealth creation, there has been a huge amount of wealth creation that has happened via the housing market. And it's getting harder and harder for people to get into their own homes. And what Divi's providing is an on-ramp. And I, I could see, I was uh, just chatting afterwards, I could really see how this becomes, there obviously will be competitors eventually if it becomes a massive market, but I could easily see how this becomes sort of the default um, way that first-time homeowners get into their home. Obviously, there'll be some that will be able to afford a 10% down payment, but the vast majority of people when they're starting out simply can't do that and uh, they don't really want to rent and this provides that option. I can't imagine this not becoming a very large industry over time. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye.